This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again, Doug Collum and Irene Yen. Welcome back, everyone, to SiriusXM's Bay Area Ventures. Live from the campus of Wharton, San Francisco, I'm your host, Doug Collum. I'm here along with my co-host, Irene Yen. For those just tuning in, our show is about the world of entrepreneurship, startups, and venture capital in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you have a question, we'd love for you to join the conversation. You can reach us at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So we are joined now in the studio by Ryder Pierce. Uh, Ryder is the founder of YoGov, and we'd love to hear more about this and in government services area, which is a really interesting space to be in. Ryder, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So um, so I guess briefly, there's just a, a snapshot, you know, what does YoGov do? And of course, we'll go into that in a little more detail, but just for level setting for our, for our listeners. So we make it easy for people to access government services. So that's our mission, to make it easy for you to access the DMV, to passports, to... Um, registration renewals we make it easy for people to get their government stuff done uh, and at this point everybody's leaning like wait say what okay so we'll take <laughs> back and, so well, what okay um i'd I'll, love to ask i gotta ask sure, the question yeah. the, the name of the company so what is that so it's uh you know it's playful and uh, it's more your government services concierge is what we say so yeah. we basically want to be your go-to uh, company for government services. So y- YoGov is short for y- your government. Or yeah, Got it. that's great. Right. It's, it's Y O G O V. Right. We're yeah. saying either your government or yo. like calling attention to yo <laughs> government. Yo government. Yeah, we got exactly. some services we need help with. Okay. So Ryder, you know you're a serial entrepreneur. You've had such an interesting background. I wonder if you would share with us um, your story, your journey, and what eventually led you to to found right, YoGov. Right. So I'm not uh, uh, a business uh, by, by background. My background's in urban planning. So I actually went to school for urban planning, and I did that for several years. So um, studied urban planning uh, undergraduate and for graduate school and worked in New York City for a few years under Bloomberg. So got to learn a lot about how government works. He, does, he did a great job. Um, was a strong mayor, so you could see how he, you know, things got done very well under him. And it was a great experience. So did that for a couple of years well, in, from urban planning in New York, that's like, well, if you're going to do it, you did a full tilt boogie. You went exactly. to New York. Exactly. Yeah. Worked on bike lanes there during the heyday and, the, and the, when Times Square had their first uh, shutdown there. Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so that evolved and, uh, you know, did, did urban planning in Vancouver. And after a few years, realized that um, I was an entrepreneur at heart and I wanted to, uh, you know, s- actually start something and, and, and start a, a trend, my first company, which was a rideshare company. Mm. So we helped people, uh, similar to Zimride before Lyft, we helped people get from Vancouver to uh, Whistler to Seattle. So I was living in Vancouver at the time. So wow. that's my first company. Are you from Canada? No, from New York originally. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was, how did you end up in Vancouver? Uh, it was for urban planning work. So post-New York, post-graduate school, I went to Vancouver. And, and then that's when I made the switch to the tech world. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So then you, so you're doing this rideshare share business, mm-hmm. like ahead of its time, it sounds like a little bit. Yeah, it was um, probably in parallel with when Zimride was just switching to Lyft around the same time. And yeah, really, you know, my, cause my background was in transportation. I thought this is a great opportunity to do oh, something. Oh, I see. I was yeah, trying to establish sense. a connection. That's, that's the connection yeah. between my transportation and urban planning background. I thought, uh, uh, you know, up in up in Canada, car ownership is uh, has a has a lower rate. Gas is more expensive, so this could actually work in Canada. Uh, and there's some other good examples in Europe as well. Um, but that was more of a lifestyle business, so I moved away from that and uh, moved down here four years ago and started my last company. Which was? Which was what was your last company? Uh, so we helped Uber and Lyft drivers. So the theme is that these are all mission-driven companies, and we we built software for Uber and Lyft drivers to track their earnings, their mileage, and expenses. So mm-hmm. oh. if you're an independent worker, you could actually see how you're doing and uh, make decisions. Should I be driving now? Should I not be driving? And uh, actually, it's still a still a great company, growing growing well, and um, uh, very, very proud of that. And, and so, uh, so you stopped running it, or you moved on from that one? Exactly. You I left that to my co-founder, and we're still helping hundreds of thousands of, of Uber and Lyft drivers uh, you know, navigate the, the changing workforce that they're in. And started YoGov uh, two little over two years ago now. Got it. Which so is this common theme of a gig economy theme that's carrying yeah. through and mission driven. To your point, were you going to say? So that? do you see? I mean, so you've been in the Bay Area for four years. Do you see this as home, or 
the jury's still out. You're still kind of exploring to see what the possibilities are. I think it's my home now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will be going back to New York this week, and there's there's snow on the ground, so I don't miss the snow, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, the bay is fantastic, it, you know, for, for doing what we're doing here. It, there's no better place to be. Why? I mean, just to ask the, the frank question. I mean, I ask it a lot, but I'm curious to get your perspe- perspective. Uh, there's just an energy to the bay, and, uh, you know, I've noticed this be- between my first company in Vancouver and, and being down here. There's, you know, there's energy of everyone's ambitious, and um, people are looking to solve hard problems, which is great. Of course, there are people not solving not-so-hard problems, but... Um, yeah, I think it's a great ecosystem. I mean, that being said, I think with technology you these days, you can start companies all over the world. I don't think it needs to be in the Bay Area. Um, but for us at the time, at this moment in time, uh, the Bay is perfect for us. Wow. Well, so we could dig deep a little bit, just explore like yoga for listeners yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So t- tell more about yeah. yoga, about the company. So we are a little over two years old, and um, this came out of a of a you know, I, I thought about this a lot working in government, for, mm-hmm. um, but this came out of a specific pain, pain point I had two years ago dealing with the DMV here in uh, the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> We've and, heard about this. Which is great because every, this is very relatable. I mean, everyone yes. can, can picture a time when they had to deal with a painful DMV experience. So. <laughs> so, so for people who don't live in California, maybe you can explain the parameters of the current problem with the California DMV. Which one? How much time do we have? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there are there are many, but you know one of the one of the big problems we're seeing now across the country is the real ID rollout. Right. So everyone in the country has to get a real ID by by 2020. Most states have different timelines, but for most folks, it's by uh, fall 2020. You need to get a new real ID, which is basically updating your driver's license. And and most people I talk to are not aware of this change. It's not just the renewal. Sorry, Doug, go ahead. I mean, I have a question because I don't know the answer. Is that, if you want to get on an airline, you need the real ID. That's right. But to drive a car, do you need the real ID? Uh, You will not need the real ID to drive a car. Your current California driver's license will still work. That's right. Okay, but for people, most people fly, Mm -hmm. and unless you're carrying a passport, you better have your real ID. The new federally legislated version of of the ID. Okay. Well, plus the idea. The other catch is you. It's a you before when we renewed our license. You get your form in, same pictures, send it, same everything in and out. But with the real ID, it's kind of like a do-over of all that with all the primary documentation, primary source documentation, like birth certificate, et cetera. That's Is right. that right, right? Yeah, that's right. So and what's the problem? Well, so, you know, a lot of people, when they're looking at their license nowadays, and they see, oh, it's expiring in December, I better make a DMV appointment. Well, one of the problems is it takes them months to get an appointment. Um, so one of our services is we, we help you get a faster appointment. Uh, a second problem is that people don't realize that the real ID requires these additional mm-hmm. documents. There's three additional documents. So you need to show up with your passport or your birth certificate. This can be a, a PSA for everyone who's, who still needs to get this yeah. done. Uh, uh, your proof of address and your um, uh, full Social Security number. And so God, I'm taking yes. notes here. I oh, didn't yeah. oh yeah. yes. I just went <laughs> through this. I'll talk to you about that writer <laughs> and using yoga, as a matter of fact. Oh, <laughs> Prior to, like, yeah. Terrific. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, you know, what's happening a lot, uh, people will show up, and instead of being turned away at the DMV, they'll say, well, you know, you didn't bring these documents, but, you know, you can renew now and get the regular ID. You just have to come back in the next year or two again to, to upgrade to the real ID. So it's really pushing, pushing out the, the, the problem or the switch that's going to have to happen. And every time you go back in, it takes months to get the appointment. Mm-hmm. That's, right. That's months, yeah. or you know, it's kind of the trade-off between you know how much time are you willing to wait in line. Um, you, you can wait in line, but yeah, you know that might be half the day for you. Right. Yeah. So, like, is it a DMV? For example, Doug, you were talking about in California. So, one of the things to your point, Ryder. So, you have this expiration. Say it's expiring in December. Life is full for everybody. On November thirtieth, you're like, wow, oh dang, I really need to take care of this. You get on the website to try to hopefully book an appointment or plan to go at 7 a.m. to line up in the queue to get in the door. But on the, in the, on the first case where you're just trying to go online and schedule your appointment, it's several months out, right? Right. That's to your right. Point. So then you start saying like, I don't need to go in San Francisco. I can go in Nevada in the North, maybe Daly city in the South, maybe some dry Oakland, you know, in the East Bay who has a soonest appointment. And because I guess it sounds like right of the real ID as one of the drivers, maybe um, you don't necessarily get, sometimes it 
it works. Sometimes you can get a sooner appointment, but um, oftentimes is that's not even working anymore. Is that what you're seeing? That's also? right. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the yeah. People get creative, right? To your right. point, exactly. People are they're they're look they're expanding their radius. They'll they'll travel for an hour or two. They just want to get in sooner. Um, it's very interesting to see what you know the things people will try to do. One of the things we try to try to do a lot is is publish data on wait times. So you know if you did, uh, if if you were thinking about going, we we you could actually see like oh what are the wait times like compared uh, uh, across different DMVs in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you access that data? I assume be, I, I want to come back to the broader question about what other government agencies do you intermediate, mm -hmm. if you will, but how do you access data at the DMV that enables you to identify when the next earliest appointment is available? So we don't access data directly from the government services. I think this is a, the, you know, the non-obvious solution that we've, we've, uh, we've chosen. Uh, we're basically saying, uh, we, we're going to build the best interaction for consumers. It doesn't necessarily, um, you know, we align with government, but we don't need to spend time at this point. Uh, I mean, I can talk more about that, uh, yeah. you know, uh, working with governments. We're, our thesis is we're going to build what's best for consumers, and whatever it takes, we'll make it happen. So in the case of the appointments, <laughs> it means that we uh, will, basically it's like we're your personal assistant. So. Um, instead of you having to hit refresh on the website all day, we'll do it for you, and we'll find an opening for you in San Francisco or in Oakland. Um, and you know, there's there's examples of of, of that in all all the services we do. But basically, our thesis is we'll save you time, so you don't have to um, spend hours trying to figure out how to do this process that you may may or may not have ever done before. Um, we'll do it for you, and uh, you know, for for usually a small amount of money, uh, will we'll save you a few hours of your time. Right. I was wondering if you could walk through a use case to help illustrate for your users. So, for example, use a DMV um, use cases. I mean, there's other government agencies that you um, offer services mm -hmm. for consumers. But say in the case of the DMV, um, walk us through a use case. I, you know, I'm somebody who I need to renew my license, I guess. Um, what happens when I... I, I get I arrive on the yoga website how can it help me right so in the case of uh, you needing an appointment let's say for your real ID mm -hmm. uh, you would enter some information on our website and we would find you an appointment so we'll find you something within a few weeks as opposed to you waiting a few months so that's that's the first thing we do which uh, people love you know they don't want to push it off till February or March. Uh, and then we'll send you the information ahead of time. So we'll send you a checklist and say, hey, just so you know, here are the things you need to, to get what you need to get done. So whether that's real ID or transferring a title or registering your vehicle, uh, we give information ahead of time and we have live chat, 24-7 uh, support. So if questions pop up Sunday night, you have an appointment tomorrow, you can go to our website and ask us there. Uh, and then we send reminders as well, so, uh, so you know, so you don't forget. Okay. So that's a, yeah, that's a big one. And then, in addition to that, um, on the you know product offering, if you will, in addition to say schedule appointment, you have something called the, the government con the concierge for government services. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So you know, the DMV has been our focus. So our, our products, as you as you said, are focused there, and of, and of course, we help people with passports and pre-check and global entry. And um, those are all scheduled appointment help, similar? Or? Uh, similar, but some are, are this concierge service where there are government services that are um, so painful, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> that it's better to have a person help you. Um, and sometimes it's required to have a person help you. So the, oh. the big thing we, uh, we do now is help people with their road tests. So there are 10 million road tests a year uh, in the U.S., um, there's often a catch-22 where to take your road test, you know, I mean, maybe this a lot. The, this oh, right, the, that's right. The, the written test? Oh, uh, no, just the behind-the-wheel test. The driving test. The, dri the actual driving test. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we help people with that. So, you know, a lot of us had parents. I mean, I, I believe that, that my parents in the future will say, no, go with YoGov because, we don't, you know, we're busy at work. But there's this catch-22 where um, you need to go with a licensed driver and you need access to a vehicle. But a lot of times rental car companies won't rent you their vehicle. Yep. And no if, kidding. especially if you, <laughs> yeah. if you moved here, um, you know, we have a lot of international users. Uh, they, you know, uh, they don't know a lot of people. So you, you'd be reluctant to ask a new coworker, oh, do you mind taking off four hours of your day to come with me to the DMV? I got to um, take my road test. <laughs> yeah. like, right. 
So yeah, so that's a that's a huge service where we will um, will pick you up. So we're basically the alternative there. We'll we will pick you up, mm -hmm. take you to the DMV, give you some tips, tell you, hey, don't be worried, don't don't be worried. Um, you know, everyone's nervous on the on the road test, and give you some tips on how to um, avoid common mistakes. And then afterwards, we we drop you back off. So it's this kind of door to door um, pick up and drop off, and and so they, yeah, that's our uh, one of our concierge services. Okay. You know, I have to say. I mean, this is my perspective on it, Ryder, so you should correct me or, 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 or tell me you've got a better perspective. But, you know, California has 38 million people, and let's say 20 million uh, have driver's licenses. And what's the deadline, Ryder, for, for converting from the current form to the new October form? October 2020. So there's going to be a tidal wave of people mm -hmm. that are going to swamp the DMV, even if the offices are up in Eureka. Right. Is there are going to be lines around the block Absolutely. given the current system. So what you're proposing, what YoGov is proposing, is not a minor problem. It is a huge problem, and it's they're it's only like Y2K already. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just I mean, for people listening in from states outside of California, this is a massive problem that's soon to confront most, most drivers mm -hmm. in California within the very near term. Mm -hmm. So exactly. interesting that you're solving a huge problem. Exactly. Uh, are there other agencies outside of the DMV that you work with? So we've, uh, we've you know, focused on the DMV, but uh, we're helping people with passports now. So we have a passport concierge service as well. So, um, you so know, what, what is that? Explain yeah. that exactly. Yeah, a common problem is, you know, you uh, – you're traveling for the holidays, let's say, and you booked your, your trip to Mexico, and then you you haven't looked at your passport for years, and then you look at it, and it's expiring. Okay, so... Tr um, it's trouble. And, right, right. <laughs> oh, oh, snap, as we would say. Right. That's right. That's right. So, um, right, getting a, a quick passport renewal is, is tough. And there are, you know, some local services that do that. A lot of these services that we're replacing are... Um, just traditionally very localized, kind of like Uber and Lyft pre, um, pre, you know, pre, pre those apps was uh, mm -hmm. taxis. Yeah. Um, so, but we'll basically expedite your passport. So we'll have someone come to your home or office uh, to take your old passport, take your new passport photos, and print them out. Uh, we have uh, most of our concierges have white screens. So if there's not a white wall in your office, we could put up a white screen, take your passport photos, and. Um, uh, have you signed the forms and then basically go uh, go to the agents, the passport agency, get your passport renewed, and come back within a few days? Um, mm -hmm. So that's a big one for people who travel and you know they have this moment of realization where. So how do you price that service, or how do you price the service where you have a concierge element to it, going to the DMV? I mean, what, I mean, can you talk about that? Yeah, and because <laughs> you know uh, we have independent contractors involved, um, right? It's it's you know it's. Uh, obviously more expensive than booking just booking an appointment because you know we have to we have to pay out the contractors you have a warm body who's, who's, right, who's right. squiring you through the exactly. process exactly yeah. but what i like to say is it's it's the peace of mind is is priceless and that's really as a company what we want people to think of us as as we grow and offer more services because that's the plan um that we're we're giving you peace of mind so instead of you having to worry about, you know, whether you have to cancel your travel plans or not, just like you're in good hands with YoGov. And so, um, you know, the passport renewal, uh, generally a couple hundred dollars uh, is around the average price price for that. And that includes the, the escorting or the squiring uh, process as well? Exactly. And then the, that's not including the government fee. So then there's the government right, fee on right. top of that. I, I mean, I do know from using, uh, actually here at Wharton, the professional services firms that help you process like passports says, yeah it's 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 a competitive price i mean that's my sense of what you're offering right, at yeah. yoga mm -hmm. so it's interesting that you're doing that um but in terms of uh dealing with the federal government is that a more difficult process or is it just a comparable process but with a different agency it's comparable in the sense that uh we're, you know, we we learn the processes. We have some discussions with with folks at the agencies, but um, it doesn't, uh, you know, we can deliver deliver our service without uh, coordination, which I think is um, which I think is really helpful for us as 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 we grow as a company. I mean, one of the um, one of our goals is to become more aligned with government services because we, you know, I think like you said with this real ID push, there's going to the the DMV uh, in California is going to be looking for solutions. And so I think um, we can certainly offer them a lot uh, 
to help to help yeah. them with this. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Ryder Pierce, the founder and CEO of YoGov. Uh, if you have a question for Ryder or comment, you can give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Ryder, as you explain the business to us, it's, you know, as we say, you know, a double-sided market. On the one side, there's you're serving the consumers um, who are, are – um, we're using the yoga of service and on the inside i guess with the government service concierges that's a whole other business also which kind of um i, I liken it to the rideshare kind of work that you've done in the past so if we take a look at that a little bit i wonder um how does how does that work as you how do you recruit concierges if they're handling government documents as sensitive as say passport information and somebody's entrusting you with my signed papers my photo and going to the agency and then coming back with the um the passport how do you how do you think about you know security and privacy kind of concerns as you recruit concierges to come on board Right. I think about it a lot. And uh, yeah, it's crucial to our business, um, similar to how Uber and Lyft vet their drivers, you know, with with background checks. Um, you know, we do we do a lot of that as well, um, especially for the passport concierge service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we haven't rolled that out nationally yet, really only in the Bay Area. And we've worked with a select uh, group of concierges for that because yeah you're right it's a it's another level of trust mm -hmm. um so the vetting is you know we just do more vetting and you know we um we get to know we have requirements for how many trips you've done for our other services um but yeah as you know the foundation of our business is really just building trust with consumers and right. so absolutely we need to have uh just have this trust with everyone right no that's a key issue i mean you think we're thinking of um um, uh, that that issue in general of private firms and and working with government agencies and how do you educate the consumer so they know that well private agencies are barred from quote selling government services and so how do you educate <coughs> consumers like hey this isn't government service this is a service for government agencies so that consumers <sighs> understand okay YoGov is helping me versus um, it's something unclear and they're not sure about to your point about trust right yeah I think that's one of the biggest challenges with accessing government services that there isn't really one source of truth um, you know government services is, is fractured city state county federal uh, and so you often end up and every every public agency uses a different type of website some it's mm -hmm. a .gov some it's a .org some it's a .net mm -hmm. .com and so just in general there's confusion around when among consumers when they're landing on a, yeah. a website yeah. like is this is this the legitimate right. website or not yeah. and just um, even if it is. And so, I mean, I think there is room for, uh, you know, kind of a leader to emerge to basically say, oh, no, trust us. Um, you know, so that takes a lot of responsibility to build that trust. I mean, I, we would like to be that. Um, but to the point around services, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, what we want people to understand is that uh, you're paying for to get back your time. So you can stay, you don't have to take a paid uh, vacation day you can go go home early and spend time with your family and so what you're paying for is not the actual good but it's basically the service and there are lots of examples of this you know people get proxies when you're a senior you know you often can't do a lot of these visits or get things done so you have right. a proxy and so that's what I liken it to either you can think of us as your proxy for government services mm -hmm. Or your concierge would, I mean, mm -hmm. concierge might be a bit fancier. Right. Um, but that's what we want people to think about. So you're paying for, you know, the, the concierge, so you, so you don't have to do it. Right. That's really helpful because yeah. I think I said earlier, I, you know, um, I was in a situation where I had to, I had to renew my license and it was months out and I did the whole, let me look at my five mile, ten, oh, 20, oh, 30 mile radius to see where I could go. And I stumbled upon yoga, which I'm so happy that you're here to talk about it today. But I was able to find an appointment that would have otherwise been four months out. I was also working late that night, like midnight. And Yoga turned it around an appointment the next day, which well, may be an outlier. That's a, a great point. That's you amazing. Know? <laughs> but it was amazing. Like, so to your point about how do you find these appointments, so if people are literally refreshing the page for me or for your customers and that's what's happening. I mean, for that, it was a, it was a lifesaver from a, oh, my gosh, I'm hitting against this deadline I didn't realize, and all of the documentation that was required where people, you know, that might be in a vault somewhere. Like who has their – I mean, maybe some people do, but to have your original Social Security card and, you know, your birth certificate, these documents that aren't – necessarily really easy to access or find mm -hmm. yeah uh, that's and yeah exactly right and 
you know, kind of everyone in the yoga of ecosystem is a concierge. So, you know, even the, the, the team that's looking on your behalf, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of companies that have done similar models like Magic You uh, would, would kind of do tasks for you on demand. And mm-hmm. I think they had most of their team in Manila. And I think they actually moved their headquarters to Manila mm-hmm. um, just because the unit economics work. Uh, you know, for them, it's great. They're they're working for you. You know, at the different you know different um, time value between here and other countries, right. and so uh, you know, someone else would be happy to help you out. It's just more for us, like making sure that the trust is in place right. for these types of documents. Got it. And you folks are you located in um, Oakland, and your whole team and all the concierges also. I mean, well, the Bay Area. Yeah, generally the Bay Area, but we do have uh, several folks that are remote and a team in in Manila as well. Oh, you so do? we have okay. about a dozen people in Manila. Oh, interesting. So maybe to shift the conversation a little bit, talk about the company as a company. So where where are you in the growth cycle? I mean, how, when was the company formed? How many employees as opposed to independent contractors? I mean, kind of give us a sense of where, where YoGov is currently. So we are just over two years old. And uh, you know, as a team, I mean, by nature uh, – well, by nature, I'm scrappy, so we've stayed lean uh, by by design. Um, we have uh, uh, about half a dozen employees right now, and then about a dozen in uh, the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a bunch of other independent contractors, including the, these concierges that are independent right, right. contractors. Yeah. And that's you know that's a I mean several hundred right now, and. Uh, I can talk about where we are, but that's you know outside of California as well. So to ask ask a question, I assume you live in Oakland. Yes. So therefore, you 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 formed a company and put it in a place that's near to you. Uh, and I'm bullish on Oakland as well. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, awesome. I, yeah. that's, that's where I was going. Which is, I mean, we've had guests here who have offices here in San Francisco, and there's kind of a common complaint, which is the cost of leasing office space if to the extent it's even available and secondly is you know the traffic of just navigating around downtown san francisco i mean maybe you can you share with us what your experience has been over the last couple of years at least since forming the company mm-hmm. what your experience has been in oakland uh, i'd recommend it if it's an option i'd or i'd say at least seriously consider it to uh to founders thinking about where to locate uh it's fantastic i mean of course it's it's changing. We're right uh, as an urban planner. This is my urban planner hat. Too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's why I'm too, asking so. the yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. and um, we're our office is right by the Kaiser Complex, which is you know by 19th Street, Bart, and so it's very easy to get to right off Bart. Uh, you know, from Embarcadero, it's three stops, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just a great. It's very affordable. I mean, office isn't. There's lots of office being built, and it, it's not a problem for us. I mean, we're in a co-working space right now, mm-hmm. and it's um, and we, we kind of have the run of the place. Um, so, yeah, I think it's fantastic, and yeah, especially for companies that you know don't want to spend all their money on rent. I mean, we're we're paying next to nothing, and uh, it just allows us to focus on building the business and, and allocating resources to important areas. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, and g- give us some more some more depth in terms of the company is two years old. Mm-hmm. You raised money funding. We raised a little bit of money. Uh, <coughs> uh, you know, to date it was uh, it's around three hundred k, and uh, we're at a which re- which would qualify as a seed financing. Yes, or uh, I guess these days probably pre seed. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So but, maybe but, you can explain. I mean, there are people listening. That's a nuance when you're talking about pre-seed versus mm-hmm. seed versus Series A preferred. I mean, suddenly the vernacular starts to get confusing. Right. How do you think about pre-seed financing? Well, it's confusing because even yesterday I saw a seed round for $21 million. Go figure. That's not yeah. so. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, at least for us, it's more, you know, the stage. The amount is, seems irrelevant now when you see um, rounds like that. Uh, so, seems, so it sounds like you're still – are you still building out the concept or you're beyond that? You've got the concept and now you're you're kind of finishing off the rough edges? I mean how do you how do you think about pre-seed? Yeah, well, for us, I mean we have, we're, have a multi-million dollar gross run rate right now. So we're making, we're making a lot of money. Um, and, uh, you know, July we were profitable and we've been reinvesting in, uh, in our customer service and operations. So – um, so we're definitely beyond that, and we're, we're you know raising our 
we've been raising uh, our next round now, um, but it's not it's not necessary for us because we've been prioritizing. And this is one of my my big learnings. That this is my third startup now. Is um, from the early days, focus on focus on making money. So yeah. V one of your product, if you can make money, you, there's absolutely a way for you to do it. So. Um, that's usually my recommendation to, to founders. Focus on that, and that's allowed us to uh, control our own destiny. So I don't feel pressured to go out and raise. Uh, work. We're in control of our growth, and we've had a, a great growth rate. So this year, I mean, we've grown seven seven x this year. Wow. Uh, on, on I mean, I don't. Event. I don't want to um, gloss over this. I mean, making money sounds simple, but I mean, I'm looking at you, writer, which is from where you sit. I mean. Making money means you have to have a lot of pieces of the machinery in place and turning and working in order to have a product or a service, to have customers, to have a process by which customers can um, pay you for your services. I mean, there's there's a lot that's packed into this concept of making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, most people I talk to say it's it's definitely rare yes. for an early stage company to have. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I, I like that. I mean, it, it means getting your hands dirty, and uh, you know, you're always making trade-offs as a uh, as a founder, and kind of you know, to build how much to build before you ship your first product, how to how to think about pricing. And for us, it's always been, um, you know, let's prioritize making money. Um, it just allows us to focus our efforts, and it, uh, you know, for me as well, I, I you know, I learn all the services myself. So I all the products we've done, I've you know, stumbled upon and, and, you know, did dozens of them. And so I, we'd all be out just, you know, it's the hustle mentality. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of, we've had that in our, our DNA since day one. It's allowed us to, to stay lean and, and, you know, focus on those types of things. Right now for listeners who are curious, what markets are currently served by YoGov? If they're listening, they say, wow, that's for me. I, I definitely want to take advantage of its service. Can they? Uh, or can they? I hope so. We're covering, uh, we've expanded a lot in the past several months. So, you know, our roots were in the Bay Area. And we're all over California now. So between here, L.A., San Diego, and Sacramento, you know, big markets. And, and now we're up and down the East Coast. So for everyone on the East Coast, from Boston down to D.C., basically including Philly uh, as well, uh, we uh, we cover the major cities on the East Coast as well. How do you, how do all you, services? Oh, sorry, go ahead. How do you do that with six employees? Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, well, that's for, a secret sauce that's part a, of the discussion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can tell <laughs> you, he tells us they'll have to kill us, right? Yes, they hit the beep button, right? Yeah. Well, one of the great things, you know, there are, I mean, yeah, there are lots of part of the challenge is this: every service we do has slightly different jurisdictions, but um, you know, state state versus city versus um, county, but some just uh, it, it doesn't matter where we launch. So, for example, the road test concierge service. Mm-hmm. We can remote launch that in new cities, and that's what we've done in Boston, down, you know, down to D.C., where um, we find and onboard uh, concierges, similar to how Uber and Lyft did it, but I, they, they usually had people involved on the ground. Um, and we train them in how to, you know, fulfill the concierge service, and then and then we're live and, uh, you know, do, do a little bit of marketing. Uh, and then once we do a little bit of marketing, I mean, we have great word of mouth and referral right now, and that's that's the piece we want to keep going. That's na- how you maintain the trust also, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On, a, on a national basis, do you have um, – I mean, word of mouth carries forward even on the East Coast when you're based here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, especially um, – I mean, there's a few types of users that have been finding us uh, so far, and a lot are like the student population uh, and um, – people who work together. So this is typically like you just, you started a university uh, and you need to get your DMV needs done and we, we might be chatting and, and, you know, be like, oh yeah, I used, I used yoga to expand my DMV. Like that, that's a water cooler conversation. Right, same, right. same among offices as well. Um, so that happens, um, you know, it takes a few, you know, we, we give people a wow experience and they want to tell their friends. Yeah. So maybe we can jump into your. Um, this is an, actually an opportunity for us to talk to you about your uh, your fundraising experience because you are, I mean, you're a prototypical. Uh, it's an e-commerce type. Co- well, it's more than e-commerce, but it's a services company using technology to promulgate the business. And you're out. You're here in Oakland. You're tapping into the venture capital, the investment community here, and you've raised three hundred thousand dollars as pre-seed. 
And I think there are a lot of people who would be interested in understanding what your experience has been in accessing capital, how long it took you, you know, how you how you thought about how you strategized your fundraising approach, mm-hmm. you know, r- rifle shots versus shotgun approach. I mean, all those things come to play for an early stage company that is looking for first investors in a very modest amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And and to clarify, too, um, you know, the pre-seed is more equivalent to the amount we've raised because we haven't raised that much. But in terms of where we're at as a company, I mean, we're – You're uh, way down Yeah, way, way past there. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in, in talks for, for a much larger round now. Um, but, yeah, I think – it's it's a process, and uh, I mean that's part of the reason why you know I, uh, like I mentioned before the break that we've prioritized um, revenue generating so we could control basically the conversations we have with investors. And so uh, for us, I mean, we have the luxury of being very selective. So we and I'm not just saying that; it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've had revenue, so we haven't had to take on capital, and you know we have several several great investors, but you know. For me, I started with um, angel investors that, that, that know me very well, and that's typically the best way to start, people who really know you and know your work ethic and know um, a bit about you. And so, like, you know, they, they can vouch for you and know you're going to deliver. Um, and also a lot of people, like, you know, know me from my previous companies as well. And so those were our first investors. Uh, and then um, we, we – <coughs> Took a little bit of capital from Funders Club as well, and uh, you know they're Penn, Penn graduates. And I had another angel investor who's a who's a Penn. Right, Chris. Yeah, Chris Bennett, uh, who's who's the the founder of Wonder School, and they've raised uh, they just raised twenty million from Andreessen Horowitz. So, a lot of great. So you're a lot of great Penn company. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and a lot of great Penn uh, Penn backers, but those are the I mean, and, and all of them. I mean, the several people that are 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 investors are just very hands-on, um, have strong conviction that what we're doing needs to be done. Um, it'll be like, a, you know, the macro trend that, the, that this needs to happen, and it's going to be a big, uh, big business as well. How, how long did it take you to raise your first dollar? Uh, let's see. From the time you started fundraising, uh, not from point of formation, but from the time you actually – you know, picked up the phone or sent out an email. Approximately, how long was it for you to, to close your first financing? So, you know, the first people, some uh, angel friends who are accredited investors, you know, wanted to put money. They knew I was doing something new, and they wanted to put put some money in. So. Even even without having a fully developed plan. Well, at that I point? think I was already going, but you know, uh, we we were going. I wasn't fundraising, and they had said, "Oh, I wanna I wanna back." I want to back you on this venture writer. And so I had, had maybe four or five people do that. So um, wasn't wasn't out looking at the time. How nice for you. That's, that's great. Right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd already worked, you know, I'd already been working on yoga for maybe six, seven months at that point, but it wasn't just, I wasn't seeking yeah. investment then, just focused on, on, you know, getting our first product or two out the door and seeing, proving to our myself, mm. it's often proving to yourself that you can, you know, build the business and, you know, know, just to pick on this a little bit, there is data out there that increasingly it shows that early stage companies like YoGov, um, because of the resources and uh, infrastructure available to early stage companies, you can bootstrap these companies pretty far down the business plan before you get to a point where you need capital. So I think YoGov is exactly a case in point, which is in fact, by the time you're out doing serious fundraising, not just family and friends, but you're actually fundraising with investors who are in the business. You know, you have, you know, your business plan's completed. You've identified customers. You've got identified markets. You've got a a product market fit proposition that's already yielding traction. And that's, that's, I mean, what's interesting about the survey, I'm talking too much, but the premise is that companies are bootstrapping much longer than they used to so that when you're showing up on somebody's doorstep and saying, hey, I need some seed capital, this is not a PowerPoint with a founder. This is a, a company that's already chugging along. Absolutely, 100%, 100%. And that was what you guys did. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the bar the bar gets higher. I mean, by, by no means, it's never easy. And, you know, so 
kind of post those, you know, to, to finish to, to finish your question on how long did it actually take? Um, you know, then we then we decided to take capital from Funders Club, but it reached out to other firms as well, other seed firms uh, who might be interested, and probably that was a couple months, uh, and then we decided, uh, yeah, take uh, you know. Uh, partner with funders club and we know we knew that that could get us to the next level um but you're exactly right the you know the burden of proof is on the entrepreneur to build something and usually to make money i mean not 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 every case now but that's kind of my mo if you know if i were to angel invest uh that would be what i'd be looking for. it's really like yeah. to demonstrate viability mm-hmm. before that first outside investment comes in exactly and so as you think about raising capital, you have the seed to get started and you're already making revenue. As you look at raising your next round, what are you thinking in terms of growth? Like what's that earmarked for? Right. So usually that next round is for uh, when you found product market fit and you want to scale. And for us, that's that's the point we're at. And then that's also, you know, your growth numbers and your, your gross revenue. And since we're at a couple million run rate, that's – I mean – there's arguments, kind of what what investors look for, right. uh, but it's it's typically to ex, you know expand and, mm-hmm. and grow. So if, if we're going to give you five million dollars, um, like we want to be able, to, we want to see the unit economics that you can prove that you can then scale what you've done in certain markets in you know fifty markets and continue making money and That's continue right. making <laughs> money right and well, do yeah, it so profitably. Course, yeah. Well, even though some companies. The inverse was true for a few. Oh, your unit economics don't work. You're losing money on every transaction, but we're still going to fund you because we believe that at scale, you eventually can make you'll some turn money, that but corner. At yeah. Those companies, I mean, a lot of those companies have died. So, how much of a handicap has it been? So, you're, Ryder, you are unique, uh, and again, based on the data that I'm aware of, you're a sole founder. You don't have co-founders. Mm-hmm. So, why did you think about that when you put when you put YoGov together? Yeah, I thought about it, and uh, my previous company had a co-founder, and and he's great, and he's still running that company. Um, But I think people often get hung up on – I mean, for first-time entrepreneurs, I would say probably you want to have a co-founder. You know, after a few years' experience, um, you can navigate uh, more easily processes and uh, and how to grow a startup. And for me, you know, I didn't – I mean, I never thought I needed to – be hung up by looking for the right partner. Like that comes with time. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs maybe fall into the trap of forcing it. Mm-hmm. And what ends up is you're in the wrong type of uh, partnership. And um, the case is often someone on the business side is looking for a technical co-founder. That's usually the scenario. And mm-hmm. for me, I, I know enough technically to build the product. And uh, you know what I did was, I mean, before – bringing on our first employee, we had a lot of contractors, but before bringing on our first uh, engineer, that is, uh, had built products to get us to a $30,000 a month gross revenue. Um, And so, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, until I have the right co-founder, I can't do anything. And I said, no, you can start building from day one. For people just uh, joining us, uh, I'm Doug Collum, uh, and I'm here with Irina Yen. We're talking to Ryder Pierce, who's the founder and CEO of YoGov, which is an early-stage company that provides simplified access to government services, um, starting initially with the California DMV. Um, you know, one other aspect about this this founder versus co-founder thing is that, the, you know, when you're forming a company and you're dividing up the equity in the company, you know, if you have co-founders, that, that pie gets split in different ways. But usually it's, I mean, it can frequently be equal pieces of the pie. Whereas, it, Ryder, you were a sole founder, and if you're hiring Irina, Irina as um, you know VP of um, of services, and but she's not a co-founder. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the element of equity that she would be entitled to as a as a kind of a mainstream practice would be substantially less than she would be as a co-founder. So there's that, which That's I right. guess is a plus from your standpoint. That's right. Yeah, there's pros and cons to, yeah. to both, and it's a lot. It comes down to the your risk appetite, right? And uh, you know, and and uh, obviously your abilities as well, and um, to to wear many hats. I mean, everyone in an early stage startup wears wears multiple hats. Um, you know, if you have the right team in place, that's that's amazing. But yeah, you'll you'll divide the pie early as as the company grows. You'll you will divide the pie lots of different ways. Ho- hopefully, as you know, you bring on great partners, whether that's employees or investors. And uh, yeah, it's really kind of the the stage. You know, there's a lot of 
I mean, there's yes, a lot. I mean, a, a few big companies that have solo founders, but you, you, to your point, it's you know, it's um, it's unusual. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. unusual. So what, how how big is the company? To your point about you know, you, you were wearing many hats, and so your team as you're growing and smaller but growing and getting bigger. How many people are at Yogum now? Well, uh, between employees and the the team of Manila, there's around twenty of us. So yeah, it's about you know, um, so so still still small. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but we're growing, yeah, and we're hiring now too as well. That's one of the another advantage of being able to, um, you know, build products that people are paying for early on. We, you know, we have the ability to bring on hires and so uh, new hires. So, um, but for us, it's more, and for any early stage company, it's the the fit that matters the most, and especially. People, I mean, everyone's been through government service pain points, so it's very relatable. Right. Um, it's not difficult in, in, in an interview to, for people to understand the pain points you're solving. Everyone has a DMV story or a passport story, but that, I, you know, I like to look for that a lot as well. How do you think about the competition, too? Because to your point, everybody, it's a very relatable experience. And have mm-hmm. you seen you know, more, um, more companies kind of tackling these pain points as, a, you know, as they exist in the government services or we were talking on the break, other areas like health services, et cetera? Do you see that emerging? What do you see happening right now in this space now that you're like, deep in it? Yeah, I think uh, you're exactly right. There haven't been too many companies, especially venture-backed companies, that have, that have tried to consumerize government services. Um, and I mean, I hope we're just the tip of the iceberg. I, I mean, uh, I mean, um, I think there's going to be a whole ecosystem here. You know, we, uh, I, I was mentioning, you know, we, we've seen a lot of new ecosystems evolve from gig economy to sharing economy. I think there's, I think there will be a government services uh, consumerization wave, and you know, from the DMV vertical to healthcare to, um, you know, to the state level to passport to visas. Um, I mean, visas is huge, you know, both both for you know Americans traveling abroad and also for internationals and coming to the U.S. Um, there's, I mean, that's a whole ecosystem already, and you know, even to there are companies that do name changes. So when you get married, you have to change all your documents. Um, so I think that's only going to increase. I mean, consumers expect so much now, like one click everything, and right. I think there's going to be one click government services. I hope I hope we can we can help push that a little bit. So I'm curious, uh, you know, as a sole founder of the company, I'm still kind of coming back to this notion because it is unusual. Uh, so when you're fundraising for this next round, wherever and however much it might be, are you alone in that room when you're pitching investors? Do you have somebody else from the company sitting with you? You're, it's you're, it's, yeah. it's you. usually just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes, we'll, you know, the uh, investors will want to meet the team. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's me in the, in the first couple meetings. So yeah, it takes a lot, you know. Yeah, it's like you know, always busy. <laughs> all on you. It's all on you. Yeah, for sure. And then going forward, I guess the question becomes: I mean, I'm, I'm uh, asking some frank questions here. So have you have you been involved, Ryder, with a venture back? Have you been on the leadership team of a venture back company before? My previous company. Oh, it was. We, yeah, we had some venture venture backing for my previous. Was that company. the Vancouver company? Oh, that was the um, Sherpa Share. That was the company where we helped Uber and Lyft drivers. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, that. and that was venture backed as well. So that you're kind of bringing that experience forward to what you're doing today. That's right. Yeah. So I and we went through that fundraising process too. And in that case, my co-founder and I would go to a lot of the meetings. But then we realized that we needed to save time, so we would then split the meetings because yeah, I mean the most important thing is. And I think it's common even among you know those investors are squirrely. You know? <laughs> They're hard to pin down. It takes a lot of effort to do that. Right, right. But then you know, then taking up disrupting two people's schedules is a lot too. Right. So even among co-founder teams, it's quite common, uh, at least among the people I know, for only one person to go because other you know we can't we can't stay. You know, somebody's got to run the business. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Someone has to answer the phones. Yeah. I would think also, like in this business with government services, um, that partnering with them or at least the agencies being aware of your presence matters to YoGov, or or maybe it doesn't. What do you? How do you think about that as you grow and move forward? Absolutely, I think we yes. Over the in 2019, we want to do a lot more with governments. You know, mm-hmm. by design, we haven't yet uh, because. We've just been moving quickly, building products for consumers. But, I mean, I think there's a virtuous cycle where what we're doing for consumers also helps governments. Absolutely. Uh, You know, there's a couple macro trends. You know, by and large, governments are trying to privatize more functions. 
the DMV to most states. The DMV, uh, you know, outsources their t their registration and titling services. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is a trend across all of the government. Basically, you say we're going to set the playing the ground uh, the ground rules, mm -hmm. and we're going to leave it to private companies to deliver the service. So that's you know that's one one of the trends. But then also they all want to save money to some extent. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, I think I mean, the California DMV spends a lot of I forget it, what the line item is, but it's a lot of money every year they they pay to support that. And so I think you know when we come in and say, look, we're going to help with the real ID transition because. We tell people what they need ahead of time, and people are already engaged with us, and we're sending them reminders and a checklist of what they need. So you're not going to get this backlash of people who are upset because they were turned away. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, absolutely, I think um, we should do more awareness. Yeah. So we've only got about a minute or so left. I'm curious to know, um, where, where do you see the company going? Like if you, if you scroll forward three to five years? I mean, can you give a sense of what your vision for the company sure. is? Sure. So we, uh, our, you know, our mission is for for everyone listening to, you know, to be your government services concierge. So you'll think, oh, I used YoGov once for that DMV appointment. I wonder if they helped me get out of jury duty or, you know, basically open up the YoGov app and uh, your data is already there. So you don't have to, like, fill out a form again. And you basically will just tell us what you need and we'll take care of it. So that's what we want to, I mean, be ubiquitous in that sense where, um, you use those for your government services, and uh, yeah, you know, be national and, and have lots of lots you of know, services. I have to say, if you're able to come up with a solution for getting out of jury duty, <laughs> yes. you're going to have a serious money maker. <laughs> <laughs> or That's reschedule, you know, yeah, jury duty. Exactly. Hey, just quickly, in 15 seconds, I mean, what's if, for people listening yep. want to start a company? What's what's your wisdom? What's the most important thing they should try do? to optimize for revenue from early on? Um, you know, figure out how to build your product, the version of your product yourself. So don't rely on anyone else. Try to build it yourself. If you can't do that, figure out a way to do it. Um, and yeah, then just keep it going and, and, and keep, uh, work hard. <laughs> we are out of time. Ryder, it's Thank been great. You, Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So where can people learn more about YoGov? They can go to uh, YoGov.org. Uh, if people are really interested, they can email me, Ryder at YoGov.org. Uh, happy, happy to connect as well. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.